Romans chapter 6. You know, I talked a couple of weeks ago about we're servants of righteousness, and I want to read that again. I'm going to talk about the grace of yielding, the grace it takes to yield to God. But I want to start by this verse I talked about the other day in Romans chapter 6. Oh, let's start uh, verse 15. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask you, Lord, that it would find a good place in our hearts. And we thank you, Lord, for your word, and we just ask you to bless it today in Jesus' name. What shall we say? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourself, there's your word, servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you've obeyed from the heart that doctrine delivered unto you, being made free from sin, you become the servants of righteousness. Wow. Being made free from sin, you become the servants of righteousness. Well, what does that word servants mean? It means a slave. Let me, let me get this to you. I want to... A servant... I had it down there, and my machine went off before I had time to get it. It means a slave. Let's go a little further. It means that one that gives him up to another's will. Those who are servants of another. Servants of another. To give oneself to the need and service of another. As you've lived yourself servants to sin, now become servants to righteousness. You are servants of righteousness, and you are slaves to righteousness. Now, that's a heavy word. But we're not who we were, we're who we are. We are now servants of righteousness to whom we obey. You remember, I don't have it in my notes, but 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, The love of Christ keeps me from falling apart. It holds me together. The love of Christ constrains me because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all died. And they that live should no longer live for themselves. Catch that word, for themselves. But for him that died and rose again. We're no longer to live for ourselves because if he died for all, does that include me? Yeah. Yeah. So if he died, I died, right? So I no longer have the privilege of living for myself. But for him that died for me and rose again so that I could rise with him. Therefore, it says, a couple of verses later, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. What does that word yield mean? It means to stand beside. You stand beside something as a servant to it, to yield yourself, servants to obey. You know, there's some things we shouldn't yield to. The Bible says that we are to resist the devil, flee from him, and we're not to yield to that old self anymore. But in Romans 15.1, I want us to look at Romans 15.1. We're not our own. Say, we're not our own. You know, that's a problem. We, have a, we are new creations. But what does that look like? Well, we're going to look at what it looks like. We're not who we used to be. And in Romans 15.1, it says, We then that are strong are to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. What did it say? Not to please ourselves. All right. 
Let's catch this. Let everyone please his neighbor for his good and the edification. For as Christ is, so are we what? Now in this present world, as he is, so are we. For even Christ pleased not himself. But as is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. And whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grants you to be like-minded one towards another, according to Jesus. What is like-minded? The same mind that Christ had. Now in Philippians chapter 2, what's it say? Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ. Philippians chapter 2. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy, verse 2, fulfill you my joy that you may be like-minded, having the same love, not another, being of one accord and one mind. That's unity. That's union. Let nothing that be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Did you catch that? Can you do that with the old mind? Now, remember, you have a brain, you have a new mind, a Christ mind, and you have an old mind. So, we have that one mind he's talking about. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of other. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Does that mean we have a choice? Yes, we do. Big word, let. Who, being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made of himself of no reputation. Now, how hard is that, to live in this world and make, try do your best not to make yourself a reputation? Is that natural in the world we live in? Not hardly. But he said, let this kind of mind. He made of himself of no reputation and took upon himself a form of a servant. What does that word mean? A slave. And was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, <clears throat> that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, the things in heaven and the earth and upon the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as you've obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in the absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is what? God that works in you both the will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, that sounds all real good, but I told Steve this morning, this little verse 20 bothers me as much as any verse in this Bible. He's talking to the church, and he says, For I have no man like-minded who naturally cares for your state. For all seek their own, not the things that are of Jesus Christ. That sounds a little contrary to what we just read, doesn't it? We then are strong ought to what? Bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. But Paul had a st- made a statement. I have no one like-minded who really cares about you. For all seek their own, not the things of Jesus Christ. So see, saints, it's possible to be born again and have a new spirit Speak in tongues, cast out devils, do many mighty wonderful works, and still be focused on yourself. This ought not be. That's pretty heavy. Time and time again, he talks about that. You know, 
to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please herself. You know, we look at the world today, what's going on with, with abortion. What is abortion really all about? Who can tell me? Selfishness? It, it's about messing up. It's not what I want. It's inconvenient. And if it's inconvenient, what then will become later when the handicap? Inconvenient. What about the older ones that some of us are getting up to now? You know, they're just really not. It's inconvenient to have them around. Yeah, get rid of them. The mentally sick. Yeah. See, that's what it comes down to when we're living for ourselves and not for others. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians ten thirty three, I think, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they might be saved. And he said, I've made myself a servant to all, a slave, so that I might win them to the Jew, to the Greek, whatever. I make myself a servant to them. Even as I please all men, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. See, there's a difference. You know, I've talked about this in Acts chapter 2. They said, repent and be baptized, receive the Holy Ghost. They said, what shall we do? And he said, with many other words, did they testify and exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked and perverse self-world that you live in. It's all about me. And as many as heard those words were baptized, and the same day was added 3,000 souls. Now, a couple of verses later, it says this, which is astounding. And there was not any that lacked among them. For all that had houses and lands sold the houses, sold the land, and gave it to the apostles, distribute to every man, so that no one was lacking. What kind of spirit is that? That's the spirit of the new church. Why is that? Because that's what he's describing right here. That what? You're more concerned with your neighbor than you are with yourself. See, that's one of the traits of the new exchange life is letting this mind be in you, which was what? In Christ Jesus. That is having the mind of Christ. That you're One of the things that, that you know whether you're in the new man or the old man, who are you thinking about all the time? Are you thinking about yourself or about others? The truth is, I was crucified with Christ, that the body of sin, selfishness, might be destroyed. Can you separate selfishness from sin? Most of the time when you get into sin, what's the root of it? Selfishness. Yourself. You can't separate sin from selfishness. And the only way that can deal with the only thing that was designed to deal with that self was the cross. By whom the world was, if Paul said, if I must needs glory, I'll glory in the cross. By whom the world was crucified to me and I to the world. You know, one of the outstanding marks of Christianity in the first century was how they cared for one another. When they looked at them and saw how the Christians cared for one another, they were shocked because they were concerned about people that couldn't profit them anything. See, that is that lower nature. You know, in, in Luke 9, when Jesus said, If any man come after me, let him take up his cross. When? Every once in a while? How often? And follow me. You know, the cross, we think, well, it's not that when it hangs around your neck. The Greek says an instrument for capital punishment. It's something you die on. If any man come after me, let him take up his cross, his selfish cross, daily and follow me. And then he goes on to say, if you save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life, you'll save it. 
You cannot be a self-pleaser and a Christ-pleaser, can you? You know, the Scripture says the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. That's the exchange life. I remember Charles Simpson one time said this, and it always stuck with me. He says, your will is where your cross and God's will crosses. Your cross is where your will and God wills, God's will crosses. That's taking up your cross. Because we are what? We're not our own. He said, well, you know, this, this sounds pretty hard, Pastor. I like that other message you're preaching on grace. See, this grace brings you into this revelation of here. I'm not here to live for myself anymore. I've been delivered from that old selfish me. I'm, I've been raised to walk in the new list of life where I care more about others than I care about myself. But we live in, in a world that just turn your TV on. You only go around once. Do yourself a favor. You owe it to yourself. Yeah. Who's it all about? Self. See, we've been delivered from that corruptible world into an incorruptible world where we have the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave what? His only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, I think of Abraham. You know, God told Abraham to get out of his country, leave his father, leave everything. Don't take anything. Get out of this country and go to a country I'll show you. Sounds like the exchange, doesn't it, Alan? Just leave it all behind and go to this new place I'm taking you. But Abraham took his father and he took Lot. Now, after his father died... And after Lot separated, but let's catch something here with Abraham. He's the father of us all, isn't he? Abraham didn't say to Lot, I want the best part over here, and you take what's left, and you get out of here. He says, Lot, you take whatever you want, and then whatever's left, I'll take. You catch the spirit here? Now look at Abraham. He begged God for a son, and God told him to take your son, your only son. What did God say? Take your son, Abraham. Your only son. Didn't Abraham have another son? But God didn't recognize Ishmael. Do you know God doesn't recognize you who you were? God only recognizes who you are. Take your only son. And when he went to sacrifice him, he said, God will prefer his... Isaac said, where's the sacrifice? God will provide a sacrifice. But when Abraham was willing to kill his son, the angel stopped him and said, now I see that you, you love me because you've, not, you've been willing to sacrifice your only son. Your only son. Now, I'm sure that message wouldn't go over good with Muslims today. But see... It's the only way we are sons is through the new creation. God's really not too concerned about who we were. But he's real concerned about who we are. Because who we were was born of a corruptible seed. And who we are now is an incorruptible seed. But living, being that new incorruptible seed, we are living in union with Christ and we are to bring forth fruits of what? Of this new kingdom. And that doesn't include the selfishness we see going on in the, in the world today or in the church. Why am I preaching this? Because I struggle with it like the rest of you do. And I know it's not the Spirit of Christ. 
It's another spirit. Romans 8 said, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. I used to think about that scripture in, in Matthew chapter 7. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, in your name cast out devils and done many mighty wonderful works? And then will he profess, be, uh, depart from me. I never knew you. Well, I understand now that this was the day when judgment comes, when Jesus comes back, and everybody's going in, and there's going to be some saying, I, I, why, not, why don't I get to come in? Haven't we done all these mighty works in your name? And then he will say, I never knew you. Because why? They were basing their uh, ability to enter in on their works. Look at all we've done. Don't we deserve to come in? Now, all of our works are as filthy rags in the eyes of God. That Greek word's a little stouter than that. We get to go in because of his works, not of our works. But Ephesians 2.10 says, But we are his workmanship in the new men created to do good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in those. We living in union and abiding in him should produce good works. That's our life. We should be going around producing works not of ourselves, but because we're in union and abiding in the vine. If you abide in the vine, what's he say? You're going to bring forth a little fruit? Much fruit. So will you be my disciples. Herein is my Father glorified. How? Why? That you bear much fruit. Now here's the key. An evil tree cannot produce good fruit. And a good tree cannot produce evil fruit. So by their fruits you show what? You know them. You know, when I was <clears throat> first got filled with the Holy Ghost, you know, when they said you should be locked up for a couple of months, I think that's probably right, right after you get filled with the baptism. <clears throat> and most of us went around claiming our rights. How many of you remember the claiming your right phase? <clears throat> Jesus never claimed his rights. Though he was in the form of God, he thought robbery with God, be equal with God was robbery. But he took upon himself the form of a servant. Is there a little difference in becoming a servant and claiming your rights? Now, there are things that we have in Christ Jesus that's been freely given to us through Christ. And it's okay to claim them. It's all right. We read it this morning in the Bible coffee shop that it's not only your right, but your privilege to take them. Because they've been freely given to us where? In Christ Jesus. But the Spirit of Christ, what is the Spirit of Christ? It's meek, it's humble, it's gentle, it's not arrogant, it's not self-seeking, it's not self-asserting, it's not self-pleasing. Because Jesus said, for I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone that believes in me may have everlasting life. It's pretty good, isn't it? But if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. The New American says there, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped at. Isn't that interesting? Satan wasn't entitled to be like God, but he grasped at that to be like God. Matter of fact, he said, I will, I will ascend above the stars of God. I will exalt my throne above the throne of God. See, that's the spirit that we're born with, guys. 
that old Adamic nature we had, that old spirit is that spirit of, of satanic, self-driven spirit. Yep, it is. I know. You, I told Steve this morning, you know, when Adam sinned and Adam and Eve sinned, they got another father and it wasn't God. Jesus said, you have your father the devil and the works of your father you'll do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. But that's why we have to be born again of a new spirit. Because that old thing is still there. You know, there's, there's always a new move of God. I remember hearing this a long time ago. There's always a new move of the spirit coming in. It's like the wave of the seas. The waves come into the shore and one hits the bank and another one's coming. And in the midst of it, there's a lot of backwash and mire and dirt and all the stuff that goes between those forces. There's a, there's a force of fighting going between the two. And that's what's going on between that old and that new that he's trying to bring in. But you know, God's bringing in, I believe, uh, when we understand the exchange life and living in union with him, I think it's only in that environment that God can feel free to give us the power and authority we need because we'll use it the right way. Yeah. Amen? Because it will not be self-asserting. It will not be self-pleasing. But it's each esteeming others and recognizing. It's kind of like the Joel, the army. And it talks about the great army that's coming. And it says, they'll not break ranks and they'll all walk in their path. See, when we understand the body of Christ, that we're members one of another. And all the members have not the same function. But all the members are working with each other. See, every member... See, I'm a member of the body of Christ. But me being joined to the other members, I'm not to live for myself. My job is to furnish something for those that are attached to me. My function is for somebody else. Somebody else's function may be for me. We talked about that word. We were looking at it this morning. I'm still puzzled with it at times. But Romans, I mean, John chapter 1 and Kent showed it to me. It says, and of his fullness have we all received grace for grace. That word, in he showed me another translation. It actually puts what I said it said in Greek. He's given us grace in exchange for grace. Is the Greek word there. See, as every man has received the grace, he exchanges it. He passes it on to someone else. As every man has received the grace, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the many-sided grace of God. As you get it, you give it away, and it's exchanged for more grace. All we are is just a conduit that passes grace through us. But as we receive that grace for us, we pass it on. That's the new life. What happens if you decide to stop it and hold it all? What happens to that member that decides it wants to be independent of the rest of the body? Cancer. That's what cancer is. Starts consuming the rest of the body. That's that old self-seeking thing. I don't know where all that come from. But the new move, I believe, I I see it happening already. I don't see it in the future. I see it here now. Because I meet with pastors every week and have for years. But I see it because of the exchange life. I see men that sees that you're joined to each other and they're not trying to have a, uh, 
trying to be over each other. They're all giving what they have to each other and receiving, and it's an awesome thing to watch because the fivefold ministry was given to operate out of the new creation. And when it does, you got the whole thing there, and it, and it all ministers one to another. But this, the Spirit of Christ, is, it's Christ-honoring, it's, it's a humble, it's esteeming others before yourselves. And I see prophets and apostles rising up on every side with understanding that real issue of the new creation in Christ. You know, in, 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 so I was talking this week about Solomon. You know, when Solomon took over and, it, and God came to him, and Solomon prayed and said, God, you put me over this great people. He said, I don't even know how to come in or go out on my own. And he says, he said, what do you want? And he says, give your servant a wise and understanding heart that he may know how to rule this people. And uh, God said, because you've asked for wisdom to, to do what you need to do, because you've asked for wisdom and not revenge or money or gold and all that, he says, I'm going to give you, basically what he said is, I'm going to give you a new heart and a new mind. And because I'm giving you that new mind and new heart, I'm going to be able to give you money and give you everything that goes with it. Because if you read Ecclesiastes, you'll see a letter written for somebody that had the mind of Christ and had the heart of God that tried to live and do everything possible and couldn't enjoy it. Because why? Because that mind God had given him wouldn't let him enjoy it. Vanity, vanity, because he could not enjoy all that he had because of the wisdom that God had given him. He did mess it up. He worked real hard to mess it up, but it was hard to do because he knew what he was doing through the whole thing. And that's why Ecclesiastes, but in, in when it was interesting. The first thing he came to was the two prostitutes that came before him. And one of them had laid on her baby and killed it. And she said, claiming the other one's baby. And they come before him. And they was arguing which baby was the one still alive. Who did it belong to? And he said, well, that's simple enough. Let's just take a sword and cut it right down the middle and give each each of you half of the one that's left. And this one that wasn't the baby said, that's right. Let's just neither one of us have. Just go ahead and kill it. And he said, give the baby to the lady that gave it away. See, if it's really yours, you'll give it away. If you really want to save something, you've got to lose it. Give it to the one that was willing to give it up. You remember Bill Gothard taught death of a vision, resurrection of a vision? A lot of times you have to give up what you think and let it die before God can raise up what he wants. That's, that's what we're talking about. Except a kernel of wheat fall in the ground and what? Die. It abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Then he says, he that saveth his soul will lose it, but he that loses his soul will find it. You willing to lose it? See, actually, saints, we're talking about stuff that ought to be basic 101 Christianity because when we came to Christ... The way we came to Christ is to give up everything we are and had and never will be. And we've been exchanged and brought into union with, with him and his resurrection. We sang about it this morning. He went to the cross. He went to the grave. He rose from the cross. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and so are we. Ephesians chapter 2. We've been made to sit with him in heavenly places. We're in union with him, and you can't separate 
what we have in him. But we've got to be willing to lose it. You know what? Can you actually lose anything when in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead body and you're complete in him? And as you're in union with him, can you actually lose anything? Really? Can you? No way. There's no way you can lose. Because you're already complete in him and have everything you could ever possibly want. But we've got to let that thing die. And there's a big word. I would say you've got to let it die. You've got to let it die. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. I've said this before. You know, Jesus came down in the likeness of sinful flesh. He says, for as much as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he himself likewise took part of the same, that through death, his death, he might destroy him that hath the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He didn't take the nature of an angel. He took the nature of man. And being found in the fashion of a man. In all points, tempted like you and me, yet without sin. I do what I say. In all points, tempted like we are, yet without In all points, tempted like we. Did Jesus have a will just like we did? Yes. Yeah. Did he ever exert that will for a selfish reason? No. Never. Let me say it again. Never. Was he tempted to? Yes. But he never did. To me, that's more astounding than anything. That he, as a man like we are, could walk for three and a half years and never once give in to what he wanted. Never once. Yeah, but he was Christ. He was God. No, he gave that up so he could do it as a man. So is this thing we're talking about today too hard? Is there anything too hard for God? No. You know, with man it's impossible, but with Christ all things are possible. Mm. Man, I thought about that many times. How in the world could he do that? And you know what was the worst? When he exchanged his soul for our soul. Three times in the garden, he sweat as it were, great drops of blood. And he says, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. If it be possible. That was the hardest place in his whole walk for three and a half years was that very moment when he made the exchange, his soul for our soul. That was the hardest. But he ended by what? Not my will. Even in John twelve twenty four, when he says, except, he says, except the corn of wheat fall on the ground and die. Then he said in the next couple of verses, now is my soul troubled, agitated. But what shall I pray? Save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came. What purpose? So he could exchange his soul for ours. See, we talked about in the coffee shop this morning, <clears throat> and we're learning a little more all along. But we're living by the life of another. Everything we have, our life is in Christ. Christ who is your life. 
Christ who is your peace. And he said, living by the faith of another. You don't have any faith apart from the faith of the Son of God. We're living by the faith of another. And the truth is, this new man that you have with the exchange new soul, you're living by the soul of another. This new soul, your new mind, your new will, your new motion is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is the mind of Christ, the will of God. That's who this new man is. It is Christ. You can't separate it. He didn't give you just a special little thing. We're living our life by the soul of another. You find me something that's not of another, that's not of him. For you are complete in him, who is the head of all principalities and powers. There's not one thing we have apart from him. Nothing. Do we need to be thankful here at Thanksgiving? There's more to be thankful for than we really realized. It's all a gift. Hebrews 5 eight says, Though he was the Son of God, yet learned he obedience by the things he suffered. And being made perfect through his suffering, he became the author of eternal salvation to those that obey him. Well, that sounds maybe a little legalistic there. Obey him. Remember what that word obey means. It's attentive hearkening. What does it mean to be obey? Listen. To those that listen. When you really hear something, it'll make you do different. To those that hear and obey. Hmm. It's astounding. If any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For he that saveth his soul will lose it, but he that loses his soul for my sake will find it. Amen. All right. Say, Pastor, get back on that other stuff. I like it a lot better. Well, that's the grace of God. Steve and I was talking about a lot of people don't understand grace. They say, well, it's just a license to do whatever you want to. Well, sorry, that's not grace. Titus says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to every man, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. We are to live soberly, righteously, and justly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace doesn't give you license to do what you want to. Grace gives you the power to what? Not do what you want to. Somebody say, send me more grace. Grace in exchange for more grace is what we need. Father, we thank you for your grace of God that brings salvation. And we thank you, Lord, to, to help us, Lord, to see who we are in you. And, Lord, let us. Your scripture says that, that we should walk as you walked. Because as you are, so are we in this present world. And, Lord, I ask you to help us to see who we are and that we be led to the Spirit and learn to walk as you walked and be led daily by your Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Well, bless you.